You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. We are going to be recapping Michigan's 52-7 win over Indiana this past weekend. But because it was similar in a lot of ways to Michigan's previous three or four games, we'll also take a peek at Michigan State and kind of just because we can't, you know, a lot of the takeaways from this game were the same as the takeaways from their trip to Minnesota, their trip to Nebraska, and so on. So we might take a peek, not in X's and O's, like not the typical keys to victory preview that we normally do later in the week. We'll still have that, but this might be a look at kind of the dynamics, the bigger picture significance of the rivalry kind of set the tone for the rest of the week. But starting with this Michigan win over Indiana, I mean, it was very similar to a lot of previous games. JJ McCarthy looked great. The defense had like two bad drives and then was just perfect pretty much the rest of the way run game had good moments, had moments that want to see growth in the next month or so. But but ultimately, they just cleaned Indiana's clock. I mean, it was pretty dominant. I think they scored on, what, eight straight drives. You know, after after two, two straight three and outs to start the game, they score on eight straight drives, including uh, seven touchdowns. They forced four turnovers. I mean, it was it was pretty much a another vintage Harbaugh blowout and it it's kind of an interesting spot for us as you know more neutral observers to look at this where boy they really I mean I don't think they've played a top 50 team yet but at the same time you just simply can't really look better against the teams that they've played unless you wanted to play your starters in the fourth quarter through seven games JJ McCarthy has attempted four fourth quarter passes Blake Corum has taken four fourth quarter carries in seven games combined. So yeah, I mean, you're talking about a team that's really just every week, you know, maybe there's like one or two drives where it's interesting or they give up points or whatever. And then they just dominate, dominate in the third quarter. Again, a lot of different stats we could throw out there, but the one that jumped out to me kind of upon rewatch, or I guess zooming out a little bit now that we're a couple days removed from the game, I, I think Blake Corum is very appreciated by Michigan fans. I, I, I'm not saying he's unappreciated, but I do think Saturday was was maybe the the most clear cut example to date of just how good he is at punching in those touchdowns. There probably isn't, in my opinion, a better running back in the country right now than Blake Corum at those one and two yard got to have it touchdown runs. And what really impresses me is you know, because he's, he's now the nation's leader in touchdowns with 12. And I believe 10 of them have come from one or two yards out. And on every single one of them, the opposing defense knew he was getting the ball. I mean, you know, I think there is, I think back to the play right before halftime, Donovan Edwards kind of waved off Blake Corum. There's some confusion. They ended up calling a timeout. That's a whole different discussion. And this is not meant to be a, a slight of Donovan Edwards, but Blake Corum comes in after the timeout. And you can see Indiana, the safeties, linebackers, they're all pointing at him. Like there's, you know, they're just giving it to Blake and he just gets in anyways. 
you know, 18 seconds to go. I think that was their last timeout. I mean, the, the confidence Michigan has, too, at just punching in those red zones. I think they're tied for sixth or eighth in the country at red zone touchdown percentage. And, uh, yeah, it's just – I mean, he's up to 43 career rushing touchdowns. I don't know if he'll catch Anthony Thomas, who has the program record at, at 55, but but 50 is seems very within reach. He might get to 50 before Thanksgiving, you know, if he's got 12 through seven games so far. So kind of – I think this, the overall record probably depends on how many games Michigan plays this season. But, but he now has 30 rushing touchdowns in his last two seasons. And I, I think back to before the 2022 season, and I still think there is some value in, in having a third down short yardage back like Kalel Mullings, like Benjamin Hall, who, who led the team in rushing yardage on Saturday. Actually, nice breakout game for him. I still think there is some value because you don't want to give the ball to Blake on those kind of carries every time. But man, it just seems like, I mean, you know, low center of gravity, the leg muscles. I think everyone's kind of seen his workout habits at this point but then I also think there's just the skill I mean it's almost like an NHL face-off where it's like you're trying to premeditate who's going to do what move and everything and and he just seems to find those holes and and Michigan's offensive line is pretty good too not discrediting them but I do think Blake Corum could do this with a lot of different offensive lines just feel like that's an area of his game that that is is appreciated, but I did want to commend it because I felt like Saturday with his two rushing touchdowns and really the past few weeks, it's it's really clear when you watch other teams in the NFL, in college, at whatever level of football, even great running backs, you know, you, you just don't know. There's a lot of goal line stuffs and and I would have to sift through the play by play data, but I, I genuinely think like he might be hitting at like an eight eight hundred scoring average. At this point, you know, especially this season, just seems like he's really perfected that craft. And Michigan, you know, I think J.J. McCarthy's gotten better in the red zone. I think he's more comfortable with kind of those tight window passes. That's the that's the trick about red zone passing is the safeties are are closer. Every the, there's more bodies around. I know there was one play where I just don't think he saw the safety on on Saturday, but but overall, I mean, I I love that screenplay by by Samaj Morgan, little after after catch. I don't know how many broken tackles he technically had but boy he made a lot of guys on Indiana's defense look silly so you know I came away just really impressed with the uh, on the offensive side of things just really impressed with the red zone offense overall but man Blake Corum just if there if 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 there's another running back who's this efficient at scoring on the one or two yard touchdown runs uh feel free to send those stats my way because it's just I I think it's such a it's a skill that that probably doesn't get talked about enough, even though he's very appreciated by Michigan fans. I, I think that's something that people just take for granted at this point. If it's second and goal at the two and Blake Corum trots in, the whole defense is going to point him out, say it's going to be Corum between the tackles, and he's still going to score. Just really impressive, and that's that's uh, that's what turns a a thirty-one to seven game into a fifty-two to seven game. I feel like just having that that extra punch in the red zone. Steve, what, what, what was some of your, or your biggest parting thought, big takeaway from the offensive side of things in this game? So I, I, in a way, this game, yes, the quorum, notwithstanding, I I think one reason it might be taken for granted too, is because like, I think Hassan Haskins was pretty effective. It just feels like quorum's like next in line, probably like a, even a step above 
Haskins, but they've had a guy that can get that short yardage. I mean, technically really got, even sort of going back to Khalid Hill was pretty effective when they would give him the ball in those situations. It just seems like Michigan has a knack for, but the difference with Blake is you talk about lower center of gravity. Uh, his legs are like tree trunks. He's also a little slippery too. So that might be something in the middle of the trenches. Like when you're in there, that, that can, that is another sort of asset he has. So yeah, no, you can't say enough about his value. This game kind of though, in a, not quite, but in a sort of way reminded me of the lions game yesterday in that. So Montgomery goes down for Detroit and Michigan just sort of rides Jared Goff to victory. Now, of course the lions did not put up 52 points, but is another game where it like, like I said, Goff got into a rhythm and it felt like Detroit just kind of rode with it. Another game where Michigan rode JJ McCarthy just rode his grant. He only threw 17 passes, but again, that's all they needed to get up and down the field. You know, so they say they scored at eight straight possessions. Uh, just felt like there were a, a sort of some parallels in that regard where, you know, you're still not totally running the football uh, as dominant as in a dominant fashion as you're maybe used to, but it's okay because now you have a passing game that can move the ball down the field with ease, honestly, at this point. Let's just, I mean, again, so far, some similarities there. And yeah, I mean, again, there's like, it's just like we said, these games are all kind of like melting together. I mean, they, they, yeah, they struggled a little bit early on, but like then it was like probably their most, maybe their most impressive three quarter stretch of the season after that on both sides of the football. So it's just, um, you know, it's like, I forgot when's the Penn State game. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like sort of how it kind of feels in my mind right now. But, uh, but yeah, another impressive performance from Michigan and, you know, you talk about Corm's value up front, but just McCarthy continues to. And I, I think he's finally starting to get some potential Heisman recognition, yeah. right? Which great timing because the schedule does will get much more difficult for them, and he'll have his opportunities to sort of, at the very least, cement his place in New York. You know, you see Caleb Williams had a really bad game against Notre Dame. On Saturday, uh, the type of game I think that could eliminate him. I think they're always hesitant to give it to a guy. They'd be hesitant to give it to a guy a second time. So for him to slip up in the way that he did on Saturday, I think would make it very difficult to overcome. Um, so the door's open for a few guys for sure, uh, but it feels like JJ is one of them. And, and yeah, he'll. That's and that's the thing to get, to get in the conversation now when they haven't played a, a top level opponent is about what you, you know, from that standpoint, is about what you'd hope to ha- have happen. So, you know, Penn, you got Penn State, Ohio State. Even this Saturday, rivalry game, you know, if he comes out and has a huge game on Saturday, people will notice. And then, uh, you know, so yeah. Deservedly so, though. He does not need to throw for, you know, the, Michigan's not going to throw the ball uh, 50 times a game. You know, if they did, he probably would average like 450 yards passing if they if they really wanted to, like, just do that. But it's not how Michigan wins football games. Uh, I think it's why they dominate so much, particularly in the second half, because they they don't just rely on throwing the ball around. They want to beat up the uh, the front seven on the other side of the football, and then wear them down over four quarters. And it's been really effective the last two and a half seasons. So, real quick before I forget, I, I did just look it up. 
in the last minute or so. Blake Corum is 12 for 17 when getting the ball at the five-yard line or closer at scoring touchdowns. Forget gaining yards. He is 12 for 17 at scoring touchdowns, including six for nine in Big Ten play. I mean, it's just, it, it, you know, not to bounce this back and forth between things, but I did want to add that number. I said I think he was batting 800. He's not quite at 800, but boy, I mean, five yards and in. I bet two yards and in he's at 800, but just really impressive. And and I'm with you. I mean, my other big takeaway, J.J. McCarthy, he really showed me a lot. I mean, I know he's been extremely good all year. I think the difference Saturday was it was a bad weather game. It was not optimal passing conditions. I don't know how many of our listeners were were at the game. The ones I knew at the game, they weren't having a good time, and they were just standing there. You know, and, and J.J. McCarthy was like, if you watched him play, it was like it wasn't raining. There wasn't a 20-mile-an-hour wind. It wasn't cold. He was just, it was like nothing had changed. And that was, that was for those that listen, back in the summer, there were three areas I wanted to see growth from J.J. McCarthy this season. Uh, one was on in the red zone. He's extremely efficient in the red zone right now. Another one was in obvious passing downs. He is 15 for 16 passing on third and seven or more. 15 for 16 passing on third and seven and more. So so obvious passing downs when teams are preparing to defend the pass. He still has that efficiency. He still has that accuracy, uh, that conviction with his throws. And then the third area I wanted to see if he could improve was the so-called bad weather games. Because last November, I know I know he won at Ohio State, and that negates any little stats, whatever. They, they mean nothing since he threw for three touchdowns and won at Ohio State. But in the month of November... And that includes games at Rutgers against Nebraska, against Illinois, and at Ohio State. He only completed 50% of his passes. I mean, last September, his numbers were actually really similar to his numbers this September. And then once the the rain, the wind, the snow, the the temperatures, once that all kind of started to factor into play, it did feel like he struggled a little bit more with his accuracy. Michigan was still winning, and I don't think he was hurting the team. But the completion percentage went from like high 70s to, to, well, 40s and 50s, kind of like the weather, I suppose. I know it was Indiana. There's all those caveats, of course. But for him to be so accurate, because he was 14 for 17, but I believe one of those incompletions was dropped. He had three touchdowns. Uh, he made a lot of different types of throws. And I think, you know, I think he's really starting to grow. He's always been a great improviser. I think his first touchdown at Michigan was like this total broken play 60 yard pass to Dalen Baldwin I, I I remember that being kind of an off schedule play but but you know I remember when I was re-watching the game and and some of his best plays were oh crap I got to get out of the pocket all right now I'm running you know I'm, I'm keeping my feet under me I'm directing Colson Loveland to go long finding him you know or, or I'm going to the left and I don't really have a good angle to throw it. Maybe I'll throw it left-handed. Just kidding. I'll just flip it to Donovan Edwards. I mean, some of his best plays were the were the plays where everything else was going wrong. And so for him, we've talked about his control of the offense, but I, it, it does feel like he's really controlled even when the contr- the uncontrollable things are kind of working against him. So, yeah, came away really impressed. I'm with you. Feel like he would have to really... I mean, either get hurt or take a total nosedive down the stretch here for him not to be invited to New York at this point. 
you know, Heisman feel feel like it's Penix's to to lose right now. But if McCarthy goes twelve and zero, or if Michigan goes twelve and zero, and JJ McCarthy throws for three thousand yards on, on a passer rating of one ninety five, which is what I think he currently has, he's number two in the country. He's not only going to New York; I mean, he's going to have a real shot of winning. So, yeah, he can't really impress me, and I we'll see. I think I think Caleb Williams will, will have a chance to bounce back, but I think I mean JJ McCarthy has been successful in his road games, in his tough road games against top teams. I do think, and, and, you know, he's been successful in the upper Midwest weather. Like I think about like if the Chicago bears are drafting, they're playing a lot of games outside in November, December. I don't know. Maybe might be too early. might be an overreaction, but I do kind of wonder if, if, if Saturday is a sign of the next few weeks to come, uh, does he not only get into the Heisman discussion, which I think he's in, does he start to open the door a little bit to the number one draft discussion? Because it felt like it was Caleb Williams automatic no matter what. But I think a lot of scouts saw him throw three interceptions against Notre Dame on Saturday. So, yeah, I mean, J.J., I mean, what what, what Michigan fans have to love about J.J. too is I think he's like the ultimate teammate. Right. I mean, when he's running, he's dipping his shoulder. He's former hockey player. Um, And then I think, you know, I was talking about this on a a radio segment this week. His offseason work. I mean, it it was very impressive from everything I've heard. You know that he he came out of that playoff game just so ticked off, so motivated, uh, so frustrated. But he was able to channel that into determination and, you know, he went 12 and one as a starter last year and he did not rest on his laurels one bit. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of leaders in Michigan's locker room. There's a lot of captains, seniors, got a lot of guys who have earned everything that they've gotten. But I, I do think that there was a catalyzing effect when J.J. McCarthy, five-star quarterback, got the starting job you know, the second game of his sophomore year, you know, kind of the, the, the golden boy, you know, the fact that he still had that blue collar work ethic that, that Jim Harbaugh, like, frankly, determination and grit and focus on, on getting better. I think that had a huge impact on this locker room because if he's getting all the extra reps in, in the gym, you know, what, why, why is you, you as a defensive end or you as a safety, why aren't you getting extra reps? during summer workouts or whatever. So um, it's showing, it's showing. I I think the fact that he's improved so much in all of the areas he struggled in last season, that's the difference between great quarterbacks and potential Heisman national championship winners and number one draft picks is, is that focus to getting better at everything that they, every mistake they ever make. It seems like they're, they're, you know, he's focused on correcting it. So very impressed. Uh, defense for Michigan, kind of, kind of the same story. I mean, I think it's it's not hard to put two and two together. They had a new Indiana had a new offensive coordinator. They were coming off a of bye week, so Michigan was a little on its heels early. Uh, did feel like they settled in. A lot of the same story. Pass rush, you know, kind of started to take over in the second half of the game. I think they had four sacks in the in the third quarter. I think the one area that that has to excite Michigan fans from last season to this season. Feels like the turnovers and the the ball disruption. I mentioned it in the podcast a couple weeks ago, but the 
it does feel like the ball disruption is getting better and better. I think Keon Sab, uh, what two interceptions in his last two games? Yeah, I think he's someone that that kind of has that that sixth sense to to getting his hand on passes. Uh, you know, Rod Moore kind of does too. You know, up front feels like they're deflecting a lot of passes, and it's paying off. Sometimes it's interceptions, sometimes it's it's just deflected passes. But you know, that was kind of my my big takeaway was was you know, defense is is good, has been good every week, but it does feel like the last couple of weeks the the forced turnovers, the ball disruption, you know, that's that's big because sometimes offenses are going to have your number, they're going to have the right personnel, or they're going to have the right play called. But the more often you can force turnovers or disrupt passes or or force fumbles, the more you put those offenses on their heels or just take the ball away from them. But even if you don't take the ball away from them, you know, suddenly they're facing a third and 14 and everyone knows what they're going to do versus, you know, being able to confuse defenses or, or can dictate the game. So, yeah, defense, my big takeaway was was Michigan's takeaways, I suppose. Uh, ball disruption. You know, I think Jay Harbaugh has been credited by players for different ball disruption drills, kind of working on that. I called it a sixth sense a moment ago, but you know, you're not just getting your hand on passes, but you're getting your hand on a pass in a way that you can make the catch or you're reading the eyes or you're reading the hips. Uh, it feels like those drills are starting to pay off and, and that, that can push Michigan's defense even further. I, I would argue that they're the best defense in the country right now, but that can, that can cement that. Uh, that claim. So that was my big takeaway on defense. Steve, your biggest takeaway on the defensive side of things from Saturday? Uh, You legitimately did take mine just because going back to when Don Brown was defensive coordinator, it was always bizarre how Michigan would, would accumulate so many sacks, so many tackles for a loss, but would barely force or, and or recover many fumbles. You know, I, I know there's some luck, involved but it also when you start to see a trend like that that usually means it's more than that obviously so the fact that Michigan is forcing as many turnovers as they have is I mean man such a great sign especially when we talk about how much how like when we're talking about the offense the way that Michigan likes to win football games good luck beating them if 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 you lose the turnover battle against them I mean good luck They've shown an ability to not turn the ball over on offense. And yeah, they're starting to force turnovers at a much higher rate than we're used to them forcing. So great sign going forward. You know, again, it's a trend that we'll have to see if it continues. But yeah, lather, rinse, repeat with the defense. I did want to go back real quick to the offense, though, and just add one little thing is uh, Jack Tuttle looks like a very competent backup quarterback. And I think that's a big, huge deal for Michigan. He looked very solid on Saturday and uh, you know, kind of one of the bigger questions we've had. He looked good in that, like, well, it was like two snaps before he got hurt a few weeks ago or a month or so ago, but, but looked very competent on Saturday. Uh, So I think to an extent, Michigan fans can relax a little bit wondering the ultimate goals probably are, are they probably disappear if McCarthy was to actually get injured, but it does feel like Michigan does have a, a a second guy behind him who who may be able to move the football if Michigan needed him to. Yeah, I think he's against Ohio State, Penn State. He's probably like a three drives guy. I think after that, it might you might start losing your opportunity to win. I mean, but he he 
has played against Michigan State and Penn State and Ohio State. And, and I think before the season started, that was kind of what we said is like, look, this isn't like a slight on the other backups Michigan has, but Jack Tuttle's been in Big Ten games. He started at the Big Ten level. He's made plays against top 25 defenses. I, I don't think anyone would expect him to lead Michigan to a national championship, but can he sustain a game or keep Michigan in contention if J.J. McCarthy needs to take a few drives off or if he happens to need to miss a game against a Michigan State, Purdue, Maryland-type team? Could Jack Tuttle go out and win? It might look a little different than what J.J. McCarthy's been doing. In fact, not might. It would look a little different. But I do think that he could still win those games. So that was that was always Michigan's motivation in going to get him was he was not going to compete with J.J. McCarthy for a starting job. He wasn't even going to be guaranteed a number two job, but that that experience. And I think he was five for five on Saturday for 22 yards and a touchdown for those that switched to other games once the game kind of got out of hand. You know, he's been efficient. He's shown good athleticism. You know, he he was pretty good against Minnesota, I felt like, too. So, yeah, I think, I mean, to be honest, I'm a little surprised it took Michigan this long to declare him. I don't know if there was that was to keep the other guys confident and or motivated during fall camp. But, yeah, he's he's looked like someone that can that can help Michigan and and kind of setting the blueprint, you know, thinking about years down the road. If Michigan has a starter that they like, you know, I think their new goal will be to go find a graduate like Tuttle. He was a former four-star recruit, back up at Indiana for a few years, backed up Penix, and has been around the block a couple times. So he's not going to be trying to do too much when he does get in there. So it's two weeks in a row that he has looked like someone that can that can help Michigan in a pinch. All right. I, the only other thing on defense I have, red zone defense continues to be successful. They've allowed nine drives get into the red zone this season, which is really low, a really low number. But even beyond that, They've only allowed three of those drives to end in points. I think one was that uh, field goal against East Carolina where they were like, we, we just got to get out of here with some points and only one touchdown. So that was the other thing I noticed, you know, Indiana, they take that first drive to the 10 yard line furthest any opponent has gotten on Michigan on a drive this year. Obviously teams have scored, but in terms of the actual drive, they had not gotten to the 10 yet. Next three plays tackle for loss false start penalty on Indiana interception uh, by, by Rod Moore. So another thing that I think Michigan is just really, really shining at on defense. All right, we're going to hit a quick break on the other side. We'll start our Michigan, Michigan state preview. We're not going to necessarily talk a ton of X's and O's. That'll be a different podcast later this week, kind of the keys to victory, but we will talk about some of the key storylines. We're keeping an eye on, this week, maybe the, the bigger picture stuff. You're listening to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So, Steve, I'm not surprised by this, but Michigan players definitely took a, they definitely downplayed the tunnel incident, the uh, intensity of the rivalry. I think Michael Barrett said on Saturday, treating it like every other game. I think Blake Corum probably said it best, treating the game like the rivalry that it is. Nothing more, nothing less. I mean, it's not like they're they're sleepwalking through the week. But I do think that there is a focus on just letting this be one game. Because, you know, Michigan State, they, they're obviously extremely hungry. I mean, they, they could save their whole season with a win in this game. So they're going to come out really hungry, probably probably playing about as physical as they could possibly play. So, yeah, I think, it, I think there is an emphasis on Michigan's side to, particularly when speaking to reporters, but also just in general, uh, to just not let this be some giant emotional mess, not not let things get chippy or sloppy or whatever. I mean, they're always going to be that to some extent in a rivalry game, but but it did feel like Michigan uh, made a point to downplay it. Steve, you were able to kind of follow both press conferences. I know you know Michigan had Jim Harbaugh, Blake Corm, Jalen Harrell speak. Uh, I know Harlan Barnett spoke, interim head coach. Harlan Barnett spoke for Michigan State. I mean, what were what were some of the biggest storylines or takeaways you saw from from kind of observing the press conferences today? Nothing. I mean, nothing too major. Nothing. Uh, no. Uh, what do you say? No bullet bulletin board material or anything like that at all. Uh, I think Barnett was asked his favorite memory of the rivalry. He brought up the negative forty eight yards rushing that Michigan had, I believe, in twenty thirteen. Yeah, so I was going to say 2013, right? Devin Gardner starting quarterback for yep. Michigan in that game, I believe. So, you know, the type of question, I mean, I guess that'd be the natural answer, I would think, that or the, if you're Michigan State, that or the the uh, muff punt. But, yeah, otherwise, the only, the only he did say one thing that was kind of funny. Uh, you know, Mark D'Antonio's back around the program, like helping the eventual transition, I guess. Uh, but mentioned that, you know, he wasn't going to reveal any of Mark D'Antonio's quote, Michigan secrets, which, you know, like I said, I thought was, you know, whatever. I mean, like I, I like I told you before we got on that the secret is. It didn't that, feel like a secret. As no, I was like, they, watch a lot yeah, of those yeah, games. Yeah. No, it's like the secret was that they, for a, a solid stretch, had a better roster than Michigan did that. That's really the big secret. And uh, those teams of Michigan States that were, better and more talented than Michigan's would normally win. Just like Michigan has been winning. Actually, the uh, what was it? The 17-13 game, the five turnovers, the McDoom drop. That was maybe one of the... Yeah, yeah that was maybe one of the only games where it was like where the less talented team won. You know, Michigan, you know, kind of gave that one away. But but yeah, like I, from a D'Antonio standpoint, though, I thought that was just kind of a little bit of a goofy thing. You know, I, I, I do remember when when he was the head coach, you know, I think it took a it took Michigan fans a while to accept the fact that Michigan State was pretty legitimate under him. Because when he when he would when they were first winning that game under D'Antonio, there was like this like belief or this idea that he did have some kind of like 
method that that like some method to beating Michigan that that co- other coaches at Michigan State couldn't figure out. But now looking back, you see how sparse the talent was on the Michigan roster at certain points. There, it makes a little bit more sense. So, yeah, Michigan State. I mean this 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 game's always. I don't know. You tell me if you agree or not. At least like from the way it's like put out publicly, that it always feels like they think it's like their Super Bowl a little bit. Um, it's it's nicely situated in the middle of the season because it can become kind of a springboard for either team to win. Uh, but for Michigan State this season, I mean, yeah, this this is legitimately a situation where they could lose the other every other game left on their schedule. But if they win this game, there will still be some kind of positive takeaway from the season as a whole. Because it's obviously been a season that I assume their fans completely want to forget. Um, but if they can pull the if they were able to pull this out some way, would you know kind of be like that diamond on top of the pile of crap type thing, you know? So there is that, and you got you know that that's what they're feeding the players as they should. Yeah, I mean, it just but but as far as the pressers actually went today, yeah, just very. And again, you know, from Michigan side, you're not going to get much, if anything. And uh, and I, you know, what what purpose does it serve to to go that route anyway? Right? I mean, let's be honest. Michigan's goals this season are bigger than just winning this game, but they've obviously taking these games, these rivalry games, tough games very seriously. So, you know, I, th- I think it's one of those deals where probably inside the walls at Schembechler, there's a much, probably a lot more intensity this week than there has been the past few weeks. You know, this might, if I guess, I don't know, Zach, if there's, if you're Michigan, you know, this might be the chance for them to just maybe put the pedal to the metal a little bit because they've, they've been dominating opponents, but it's it, it, a lot of these games have been very ho-hum, which again, probably a best case scenario for Michigan, but there, I, I still think there's got to be a part of them that are just sort of raring to go like for four quarters and just kind of really, I don't know, making as much of a statement as they possibly can. So be interesting to see if that ends up being the case on Saturday, but, but yeah, no kind of stinks. I mean, this, this game that to D'Antonio's credit, this, this game had, was had really become a legitimate circle it on your calendar game every year. Uh, and it's not really the case this season, it feels like. So that's kind of a, I think it's a little bit of a disappointment. You know, this, this, there's a lot of intensity in this rivalry. It's probably one of the most truly hateful rivalries in the country, right? I mean, it's just like there's legitimate dislike between the two programs, fans, all that stuff. So I think it's honestly maybe the coolest rivalry. I, I, and that's not, you know, the Michigan Ohio State rivalry has, a lot of history, a lot of hate as well, a lot of cool components. But I, I think most Michigan fans, at least the ones I talk to and the ones I know, they interact with way more Michigan State fans on a day-to-day basis. I'm, sh- I'm sure there are a ton of listeners from like that live in Toledo or have family in Ohio. You know, obviously there will be exceptions, but I feel like the average Michigan fan has way more like thinking about their family or their coworkers or their or their friend group. I feel like there's a lot more Michigan State fanhood in those circles than Ohio State fanhood so I think I think you're right and then I think the other thing that makes the Michigan Michigan State rivalry really cool is if you look at the history it has been extremely even in the last I don't know 40 years in multiple sports 
Like you compare it to other in-state rivalries like Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. If you look at history, I think Oklahoma State has only won like 15% of those games in a bunch of different sports. You know, Alabama, Auburn, not really as competitive as it it sometimes gets portrayed as or or a lot of those in-state rivalries, you know, maybe it's like one sport that's like really competitive, like uh, like Louisville, Kentucky, Duke, UNC. But then the other sports, I mean, Michigan, Michigan State, it's it. I think it's so cool. Basketball, football, hockey, ex- extremely even. I believe they're like the two of the like, what, four, five, six programs that have won national titles in all three sports. And the fact that they're they play an hour apart from each other or hour and change apart. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I'm sure Michigan fans would love for this to be, you know, kind of a like what it was in 2021. Ranked matchup, nations watching, you know, all eyes are on the state. Cool showcase for for both programs. I mean, I'm sure Michigan fans there are they're also saying to me, "Nah, Zach, we'll take the two and four beat down." I, I get it, but but at the same time, I think it's it's almost easier to get up too because like like the players were talking, it almost sounded like they were like guarding against the upset, and that's not necessarily the mindset you want to have going into the rivalry game. I'm again, I'm sure it's different behind closed doors when us reporters aren't asking questions. But, you know, that is the maybe the the weird narrative is like, I'm sure Michigan fans would love to talk a lot of smack, but their 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 friends who are Michigan State fans don't really want to play ball this year on that front. Michigan State's 0-4 against Power 5 teams. I think they're better than that 0-4 record. We'll talk about some of the things that they do well the next episode. But... Yeah, I'm sure Michigan fans would love to be fired up. And I mean, it, it almost seems like Michigan State's able to be cool and be like, oh, we don't really care about the rivalry this year or whatever. And and I'm sure Michigan fans are like, well, <laughs> we want to. So, I mean, even the student newspaper game, man, we're not going to talk about it. But, you know, the state news no longer playing the Michigan Daily after 17 straight losses in their annual football game. You know, they don't they don't want to play this year. They would be hosting it. But different discussion. Probably not for this podcast, but yeah. So it's, I think that's like the one tricky part mentally, you know, not X's and O's, but big picture about this game is there might not be a hungrier team in the country right now for a win than Michigan State hosting Michigan, having lost four straight, not having their head coach. You know, there's players that are either decommitting. I don't know if they've had anyone enter the transfer portal, but, you know, kind of, they've had moments where this locker room could have been divided and, and you know, those who are sticking around, I mean, they would love nothing more than to score an upset win over the number two undefeated Michigan team down the road, you know, got, got Heisman candidate quarterback, Heisman candidate running back, you know, all the, all this hype, all this talk, they would love nothing more than to sneak up, but uh, we'll see, we'll see kind of, obviously we'll see what happens on the field, but we'll also dig into some of the, the X's and O's. I do agree with your take about the D'Antonio. I mean, I think the secret part was maybe a little bit media fan driven because they were often underdogs. But then the 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 his the way the two teams went the rest of the season, it was like, well, they never should have been underdogs. Like, there's no way they should have been underdogs in that game. So I think there's a lot of like, how does D'Antonio pull off this upset? And the actual answer is have a better football team, play better in the game. Right. That's better. Yeah. And that's, that was like, yeah, that was sort of my point was like, I think at the time, because 
it had just been a, an era where Michigan, a, a pretty str- a pretty long stretch before he came in, where Michigan had dominated. So I think when he came in and shifted it relatively quickly, I, I think even like while it was happening, I don't I don't think many Michigan fans maybe yeah realize like actually Michigan State's got a pretty darn good roster. Like they're pretty yeah. they're pretty solid, right? Like so it's only only look back and you're like, it makes sense that they won that he had the record he had against Michigan, I guess the best way to put it, you know, because yeah. like, so they had yeah. more all Americans, more NFL draft picks, like, yeah. yeah. And that's the credit to them. Cause they didn't recruit as well, but they were developing, they were running circles around Michigan in developing right. they, and, players but, at the time. And they don't, and that's like, that's also the thing where it's like, I mean, so here's the quote real quick, just so we have for clarity here. It was, uh, it, the question was one, what Mark D'Antonio can contribute to the rivalry now that he's back on staff, the verbatim answer from Barnett was, quote, because he has a secret formula to success, I can't share. So I'll just say it that way if that's okay. Oh, that's actually so, worse. I, I thought, yeah, no, no, I don't. Hey, is D'Antonio giving you the secrets? And he's like, I'm not going to give away the secrets. It's like, okay, no. that makes that's a totally yeah. sensible answer. He didn't have to bring up no, the secret right. formula. <laughs> no, I'm like, there's no, but, but that's the thing is like, he's not going to flip this roster in a week. You know, like that's what we were talking about. Was that, it was that development that was what what put what built them up under and when he was the head coach there. It's like that's not going to change in the matter of a couple of weeks. So right. I guess I, I, yeah. Now that I now that I'm reading it, there, there's a lot of other ways I feel like he could have answered that question without uh, saying something like that. You know, it's like it's a nice. Uh, it makes D'Antonio look good. I, I'm sure it it sure. reminds fans like, hey, there was a time where. You know, this would not be their first upset win. So I, I guess I, I, I'm i not – Harlan Burnett's been put in an awful situation for his kind of shot at, at the head coaching job. So I'm not going to act like he's screwed this up or anything like that. But, but, yeah, he probably could have answered it differently. I don't know if you've noticed this, Steve, but as someone who writes off of a lot of Jim Harbaugh's press conferences, he started doing a thing where people ask, like, what's the key to – winning on the road or what, what's going to be, what do you want to see from your team and, and big time play? Or what, what do you want to see in this, you know, take advantage of this rivalry matchup? Like he's been asked a lot of those, like, which are fair questions by reporters, but I'm, I'm, you know, Jim Harbaugh has been, there's been a microphone in his face since he was 18. Right. So I'm sure he's kind of like over a lot of this stuff, but he started saying, quote, we're going to have to play good. And I'm just, and, and he, he obviously has like a little bit more to the answer, but that always sneaks it in there. And I got to say, like, I really just appreciate it because it's very true. What's the key to winning on the road? Play better than your opponent. What's the key to winning a rivalry game? Play better than your opponent. I mean, it's just, it's, it's kind of funny. Cause I think, you know, a lot of us think or not even think, but like we, we operate in this narrative of like secret formulas or like extra special game plans or, you know, some rousing speech before games, you know, thinking about like road games, like, like all that stuff, you know, it it plays a role. But ultimately, if you look at the history of football, usually the better football team is going to win. I mean, there are there are situations where like turnovers or weather or, you know, a team sleepwalking, you know, upsets definitely happen. But ultimately, when the good team plays good, they usually beat the team that they're better than. And that's, yeah, that's no, been mostly and, true. Yeah. <laughs> so and some so when and the what makes rivalries great is sometimes there is like that that time where maybe it's like a 60-40 that one team's a 60 versus a 40. You know, like that they're not even 
and the other t- one team's not that much better than the other team. And so that, that, but yeah, more often than not, any of look at any of Michigan's rivalries, particularly Michigan State and Ohio State are the easiest ones to measure it with. But yeah, by and large, like when the roster, the the roster with the most talent has been winning those football games forever. I mean, Ohio State dominated Michigan as long as they did because they had for stretches. You talk about D'Antonio having more talent on the Michigan State roster than Michigan had at some point. I mean, Ohio State's, I don't want to say their second string could have held their own, but there were probably a few years in there where they would have, you know, had some success in that game. I mean, it's just like that's how much more talent Ohio State has has had over the years than Michigan's had for for certain stretches. So totally agree. There's there is that rivalry voodoo a little bit there can be, but yeah, more often than not, over the course of a four quarter game, uh, the better team has has been winning, and I think that goes like you. So like take a game like Oklahoma Texas this year, where it was like it's pretty clear those two teams are they're bitter rivals, very evenly matched, right? Mm-hmm. That's when you yeah. find that's when you see games that go down to the wire with the excitement, you know that that's when that stuff happens. It's it, there's nothing necessarily about what Oklahoma was like Oklahoma did not win because of some halftime speech or you know they won because their players made the the play made the big plays when the when there was the, you know basically no time on the clock I mean those two teams were about as evenly matched as you could imagine so another reason why really and again all the pressures on Michigan on Saturday doesn't matter if it's in East Lansing or not also I since I had it up I forgot to mention it before we moved on on the turnovers, Michigan has 12 takeaways. Their record under Jim Harbaugh is actually only 20. So they have 12 takeaways through seven games. All those good defenses, all those NFL players that they've produced on the defense side of the ball, uh, you're seeing them. We'll see how it continues, but we're you're seeing them about as good at forcing takeaways. Ball disruption is the, the phrase Michigan players unite. It's one of their four pillars on defense. Uh, so wanted to get that fact in there just to, to add some numbers to what we were talking about. And yeah, regarding this rivalry, the biggest key for Michigan, I'm actually, actually it will be my number one key in my four keys and a pick. It will be play good <laughs> because I think if they do, I mean, even with all the, like, you know, the physicality, the, the extracurriculars, the, you know, all, all the chatter from fans and media and maybe during the game, but, but ultimately all, all that's going to matter is does Michigan play good? Cause if they don't play good, the game can get closer. If they do, they're probably winning this game by a significant margin. So we'll talk a little bit more, more about the nitty-gritty, the, the players to watch, the, the keys to, to having a successful weekend. We'll talk about all that in our preview podcast of that game. But for now, that's going to do it for us. Be sure to check out all of our written stories over at the michiganinsider.com, michigan.247sports.com. Lots of stuff from the Indiana game, and we're, we're diving into the Michigan State preview stuff. Michigan Men's Basketball Media Day is tomorrow. It's kind of a, a week where football is probably still going to be the focus, but but you'll start to see some stories on that front as well for myself and Alejandro. For Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. We'll see you next time. Hello, everyone. It's Mike Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean outrageous. Just search 
The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Beats.